So we can never copy and paste, let's say, what works for a Google into, I don't know, like a Goldman Sachs type of company. Like they're just two entirely different cultures and it's then recognizing. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. I'm happy you're tuning in and joining me on this journey as we talk about leadership and its effect on the employee experience. Thank you so much for downloading this episode, and be sure to hit that subscribe button to get new episodes automatically downloaded to your device. This episode's guest is Nanuka Sequia, the CEO of Better Organizations by Design, which she co-founded to enable companies to achieve scale, disrupt industries, and create currently unimagined value for customers. I personally love organizational design and development and how we can essentially move parts of the business around, kind of like a free-flowing puzzle. This is why I got really excited when I could have Nanuka on. She shares more about the art of designing an organization and how good business includes bettering the lives of the people who work for those companies and the communities around them. Now let's dive right into this interview. Hey Nanuka, how are you? Thank you for coming on the podcast. Chris, I am so happy to be here and it's so lovely to see your face again. <laughs> well, I'm glad, glad that we could connect and uh, formally get you on the podcast. We've already had a couple of great conversations, so I'm great to have you and just share your story. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Well, like I asked all of my guests, what does it mean to you to lead people first? Um, I think it's a couple of things, at least for me, Chris. I think at the very most central level, it's knowing, leveraging, and celebrating each person's unique talents, and then making them sure, making sure they understand how they're contributing to the bigger picture so that they feel fulfilled at their jobs, they feel energized by what they're doing because they are using the best of themselves and they're connecting it to a bigger picture. And then they also feel supported because you know exactly what it is they need. At another level too, I think it's also recognizing that people are at the center of any organization's design. So they're the things, they're the thing that make your whole organization go. And so being a people first organization means designing systems that put them in the center and not like these flawless hypothetical beings, but instead designing systems that actually work for these people. Yeah, that's something that I think uh, a lot of people forget is that um, right? We, we can actually cr intentionally create a design for our people right? And, and in our organizations. So that's something that fascinates me with the work that you do. Um, mm -hmm. But before we get into that kind of level of detail, I would love for you to just share you know, how did you get to where you are today? And how did you really learn to lead people first through this kind of way of organizational design? Okay, maybe we take that apart into two questions. Like, how did I even get into this space in the first way? I would, I hate to say this, but this is the God honest truth. I kind of just fell into it. So my career has always been in the HR space. And in the last several years, I really focused more on the organizational effectiveness and org design space. and. I was working at one company, a large company called Cisco Systems, and I had gone through their HR leadership program and I was looking for a landing role. And honestly, that's how it happened. I met my future team. I mean, my team at that time. 
and they were building an internal practice focused precisely on organization design and, ha and having conversations with me. My boss at the time was like, I think you would be amazing at this because of the way you look at systems, you're really good at dealing with executives, you're able to understand the root causes of problems and you have very creative ways of solving them. So I wish I could say it was with a lot of intention that I had moved into it, but I fell into it. And the moment I started doing it, Chris, I was like, damn, I should have been doing this my whole life. Um, so that is my growth journey from a technical aspect. And since then, I've just stayed focused on that path. And then in terms of your other question of how did I come into people first leadership, I'm going to guess other people have said the same thing. It is first by example. Um, like having seen leaders who have led that way and then leaders who have not and therefore seeing what I did not want to be now that I'm leading my own consulting practice. And then the second piece I would also say is maybe following my own natural tendencies. So as a person, I tend to very much see people as individuals. That is both a strength and a weakness, and we can talk about that a little bit more, but I really enjoy getting to know people for who they really are and what their unique skills are, and then building a plan around that person. And so I've just leaned into that, I would say, from a leadership perspective. I also find it really rewarding to really go after growth. Like I am personally challenged. I personally am driven by challenge. If you tell me something cannot be done, all the more I want to do it. <laughs> thinking of that, like applying that to my leadership style, I very much like to challenge people in ways that force them a little bit out of their comfort zone and supporting them in their growth. And I say the third thing, so the learning to lead by people first, first by lead, learning by example. The second is, just following my natural tendencies. And I would say the third is actually my team. That sounds so cheesy, but it's really true in that I am always testing to see what works with them and like what resonates with them. And that's how I continue to refine my style by seeing how people react to different things. And honestly, our company, we're really big on feedback also. So them giving me direct feedback about what works and doesn't has really helped me also. Cause I want to be a leader for them. Yeah. Well, we very often we say we want feedback, right? But we, a lot of a lot of uh, individuals, um, it's hard. Those are hard pills to swallow. So it's good to hear that that's something that you're um, you're really open to and and that you implement, right? As well. Oh, so yeah. the so the thing that you shared about you know being able to see people's strengths and mm -hmm. what makes them, you know what what makes them thrive, and your current role or what you've fallen into as you mm -hmm. said with organizational design you know did does one play into the other as far as like you looking at individual strengths like when you do your work right now you go into organizations as a consultant and you look at the design of the organization does you your ability to see individual strengths influence the organizational design or is it the other way around where you say this is the organization this is the way an organization should be designed and how it should flow or processes should flow and then we'll fit the pieces of people based on their strengths into that okay i'll answer it in a slightly different way instead of thinking yes i do see people as individual beings with their own strengths but when i'm thinking of organization design 
it's more of taking the mindset that then every organization is unique in themselves. So we can never copy and paste, let's say what works for a Google into, I don't know, like a Goldman Sachs type of company. Like they're just two entirely different cultures mm -hmm. and it is in recognizing what is already true about their culture and then what is also true of their business strategy and creating a design that works uniquely for them. I think that's where the mindset of tailoring something for an individual comes into play when it comes to organization design. And I would also say it has also a lot of effect at the change management portion when it comes to org design. Because when you understand the players, you can start also tweaking the implementation of the design to better suit how people think already today. Yeah. So real quick, before we dive too much more into organizational design, I know that that's something that, you know, not everyone knows what that is. So could you do a quick little summary of like what is organizational design for those who don't know? Well, that's a great question, Chris. I guess we should have talked, about, we should have defined <laughs> that at the beginning. Yeah. So organization design is just a process for making sure that your company structure, your processes, um, the tools that you use to do that work, to work on those processes, um, the people, like your the, their mindsets, their skills, their abilities, how many they are, and the metrics and your culture, that all those things work together and in service of your business strategy. So it's the process of aligning all those elements. Very good, succinct <laughs> way to describe it. Um, I probably would have taken like 10 more sentences to try to figure, like try to explain it. <laughs> and I know it sounds super dry the way I described it, but it is actually super fun, Chris, because it means you're looking at an organization basically as a puzzle and you're trying to figure out how changes in one aspect will affect changes in the other aspects of it and the goal is to find harmony so it's not a scientific formula where a plus b plus c equals d it is very much an art form there is rigor to it but there's a lot of um, art that goes into designing something really beautiful for an organization yeah um i i would completely agree with you it's an art to design an organization and even when you look at um right like a lot of venture or sorry, not venture, uh, startup organizations, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have a tendency to say, well, you know, Google or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, you know, pick your big tech company. Mm -hmm. And they say, we want to be like that one day. But in actuality, right, it's complete, like, they might have that as a goal, but when they start looking at their own work and what they're doing and whatever it is, they end up looking completely different. Yes, so and they should, they should be completely different, to be yeah. honest. So how do you, when you talk to startup leaders or individuals who are looking to create their own business, what would you tell them when it comes to designing their organization? Start with your strategy. That's number one. That is your primary driver of any organizational design because essentially you're designing something to support that strategy. And so... Step number one is to get clear on what that is. And then step two is to then design something that supports it. It's a great way to, great way to um, describe it. So when you're looking at business strategy, then how do people fit into the business strategy side of the organization? How do people sit, fit into the business strategy? Okay, Chris, they're the, th they're the 
element that will make the strategy come to life. So they are the drivers. So while your strategy is providing the direction for people to go, you need the people to actually head in a certain direction. Like you can have a strategy, but if you have no people, what are you going to get done? Nothing. Um, you still need, even if let's say you are a SaaS business, you still need people to code and build the software and build all the platforms. So mm-hmm. people are definitely at the heart of it. Yeah. So when we, when we look at people being at the heart and the ones that are right driving the business, mm-hmm. that's something that I think, um, you know, I, I've been trying to promote, right. Is yes. the people are the engine, right? Mm-hmm. Your business strategy or your business itself is the vehicle. You need your people to be working in tip-top shape. And again, when we look at something like design, you need to have all of those pieces internally fit, right? And yeah. so, or working, you know, efficiently or in alignment, because like a watch, like let's use the watch analogy, right? The old school watches. If you have one tiny little piece that's like not working, it can affect the entire uh, the entire component or the entire thing and it can fall apart. So when we look at organization design, how does organizational design create a better people first employee experience? That's a great question, Chris. And can I rephrase that slightly? In of terms course. Of how can you design an organization to then further a people first strategy? Yeah. Because yeah, it's in doing that, that you're actually able to bring that to life. I think at the very first level is one is leader setting leadership expectations. So when you think about organization design, if we were to think of the components as structure, process, um, tools and enablers, metrics and people, I'm talking about the people bucket. So level setting leader expectations in terms of this is what we expect our leaders to do and make possible for their people and just having that as the baseline and then everybody leveling up from there the second way that organization design can enable people first strategies is to actually design teams to a size and scope that leaders can actually handle so you can think about team design which is a subset i would say of organization design you can think about that aspect of your designing roles, um, scope, metrics as well, the team subculture. You can design things on paper, but then when you start putting in people into those teams and individual leaders also, you got to make sure it's at a scope and design that this leader can handle. There's a very traditional org design metric or org health metric, I guess, that people use, which is span of control which is great from a design perspective. Span of control just tells you how many direct reports a leader should have. But in a people-first company, it's less so about using a formula and saying X types of teams must always have, uh, sorry, or X type of work must always have this team size. Instead of just using that standard formula in a people-first company, you would design a team based on what a leader can handle. Some leaders can handle teams that are as large as 20. Some might be better off doing teams of five. So I would say coming coming to your organization design with that kind of a mindset of that flexibility definitely helps. Yeah, it's important to be flexible from that standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. I think that um, there's that older research that looked at well how many can a manager actually truly manage and it was like mm-hmm. what eight maximum yeah. 12 right yeah. um but 
you know, I've seen managers manage as many as like 30, 40 people. So what is a common misconception that you see with leadership as far as what we've been taught or, you know, what has been promoted in the past and what is true now that is more people centric? Well, what I think the biggest shift has been like in terms of individual attention. When I when we think of like more traditional leadership models, they're very task focused. And this is why, Chris, I was saying that you need to have um, flexible team sizes because a leader can only a, le- a team should only be as big as a leader can provide true attention to that person. So if you're talking about a team of 40, probably 100% of that person's job is managing those people. Yeah. He or she is probably not doing any of the work themselves because 40 people is a lot of people to be giving individual attention to. So I would say one of the biggest shifts is that is moving away from very old school task management to the idea then of empowering people and managing them. Yeah, that empowerment piece is very is very important because I think that, you know, this has been a theme that's been popping up for me more and more recently, right? Is mm-hmm. like the in- level of impact or the amount of impact that you have, right? Again, having that task-based approach, that traditional task-based approach, your impact was limited to what your team did. So yeah. it was all about maximizing productivity and efficiency, which we still see today, right? We still yeah. see a lot of that old traditional mindset of like, we need to get the most and st- out of our people. We need to squeeze the most juice out of our people as we can, right? But now it's about what is the impact you can have by empowering your team because when you empower your team, they then create a bigger impact outside of themselves as well. So it's very important to to look at it that way because instead of squeezing 10 limes or juices, who would squeeze (laughs) a lime? Instead of squeezing 10 oranges, you can potentially, your impact could be 100 because each of those people can squeeze another 10, right? So, yes, yeah. Well, something that, you know, uh, looking back on strategies and again, this traditional ideal, right? Our society is very, very smart. We're really intelligent, mostly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when you put those really smart people into leadership positions or managerial positions, high level positions. They know how to manage things like business strategy, finance, analytics. The thing that I find that they don't usually know how to do. And again, this is based on, you know, the traditional mindset is they don't know how to manage or lead people, which Mm -hmm. is why we are constantly talking about leadership. In your experience, do you find that, organizations are aware of the issues that affect employee engagement and they just either don't know how to act on it or they um, or they just are not sure what to do or is it the other way where they're just completely unaware of the issues that they have and what to do? Gosh, I hesitate to make a blanket statement about all companies, but I'll talk about a few that I've seen in that I have definitely, okay, one, it is impossible for companies to not know when there is pain in the organization because people will talk about it. You will see it in missed results, for example. Um, People could be happy, but for example, if you're consistently missing performance targets, that's probably another sign that there's trouble brewing. Um, I think what the mistake that people often make is that they they target the symptoms rather than the root causes. So to your question of, are companies sometimes unaware that they're having these problems? 
it's probably not that they're not aware that there are problems. They don't know what the causes of the problems are. And so they're reacting to the most surface level symptoms that exist, such as, let's say, absenteeism or responses to their engagement survey, but they're not actually looking at what could be driving that. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's important to really get down to the root cause. That was something that um, I learned personally. I learned in, in college when I was studying organizational development, right? Is that you have to look at the actual root cause of what is going on because that one little problem, it might be one problem, but it creates 10 little problems. Exactly. Right. And, and so as a manager, usually the instinct is attacking one of those, each one of those 10 problems. And then you spend all of your time attacking 10 little fires when really it was the spark plug that is faulty and it is creating those 10 little fires. Exactly. And very often managers will start with, or leaders will start with the fire that is the biggest, but it's not necessarily the original cause of the fire. Yeah. They, it just has, happens to be the most acute and therefore that's where all the attention is going. Yeah. So how do we shift that mindset for leaders? How do we help them get over that like panic of, oh my gosh, that fire is really, really big right now. I need to just put it out versus, you know, again, okay, that fire is there. Let me like, let my team handle it and let me figure out like what is causing it. It's as simple. Okay. Maybe it's not this simple. In theory, it sounds simple. Chris, I was going to say it is quote unquote, as simple as taking a beat, right? Right before reacting, just stepping back and saying, what is the true problem here and doing something as simple as like a five wise exercise or some like abstraction laddering just trying to dig deep into what the root cause might be before actually jumping in in front of that fire with a fire extinguisher yeah <laughs> there's i mean there's a method to do to do it right like mm -hmm. I, I know that for a lot of um individuals they especially when they manage teams, they're like, oh, like, I don't know what, like how to handle the people side of it. But it's like, there's a lot of actually strategy and practice that is pretty methodical. Usually when I, I in my experience, I found that individuals who are hesitant to, uh, you know, lead their people, it's because they are more analytical or they're more methodical in their approach, not so much the uh, on the people side. But if you present to them like this, kind of like step-by-step -step way of approaching things that helps them like become a better leader. Has that been your experience as well? Yes. And I, w I wanted to see, Chris, I don't actually see those as being opposites in that you can't be analytical and methodical and also lead people because I actually, there's a hundred percent a place for that kind of an analysis and rigor in your thinking, because while people are definitely the most complicated variable, I would say, when it comes to businesses, there is a lot of benefit in having very logical thinking to then tackle some of the problems, because that's actually what stops us from running and trying to chase all those 10 fires. Yeah. It's kind of being, met you call it metho methodical. methodical yeah. It's in being that methodical that you're actually able to uncover what the root causes are. I yeah. don't their opposites. I absolutely think being a good leader also and means being analytical. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I didn't mean that it's like you're one or the other. I'm just saying, you know, from a standpoint that someone might not be comfortable with that people side, right? They may not have those people skills or or whatever it might be, and they tend to their default strengths are on the other side, and they haven't really cultivated those other skills or strengths yet. So, um, yeah, fair enough. I yeah. agree. So when we look at things like um, now that we're on the topic of skills and strengths, what was something that was when you were younger, you mm-hmm. believed leadership was, that is not true today? Oh, that's a great question, Chris. When I was younger, I definitely thought leaders should know everything. I have since realized that is absolutely not true. I think leaders should, I think it would be actually very dangerous if the topmost leader in the organization is also the smartest person in the whole room, because I think good leaders know how to surround themselves with people who are better at different things than they are because then the cumulative power is incredible. So that's one, definitely one thing I have changed. (laughs) I also used to think when I was younger that a strong leader meant a, not a dictator, but somebody who definitely called all the shots. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I have since realized that is definitely not, not true. I think there are moments when a leader definitely has to step in and be the most decisive person in the room that's typically when there's a lot of missing clarity or it's a crisis moment and you need somebody absolutely to step in and say, this is what we're going to be doing. But for the most part, I think many decisions are made better by gathering input from the people who are actually doing the work. So that is another major shift in my thinking. Yeah. Well, I had a chance to talk to some of your colleagues And uh, I asked them for ways that you exhibit leadership. And I think that uh, Nathan Timon, um, he shared exactly what you just spoke on about listening and and being more more attentive and and cultivating that information from your team. So let me share his his praise that he had for you. So he said... He said, one way that Nanuka displays people first is by actively listening for when they need something personal that is a hit that is hidden within a comment about business. Then she tries to help address the need through an act of kindness in the form of sharing a favorite podcast, book, article, etc. In other words, she certainly cares about doing good work, but her actions show that she cares about people more. So when we look at, you know, when when you had this idea as a child of, of this leader being authoritative, but now you have a much different style of leadership, right? Can, can you talk about the humility that you bring to leadership or your approach? Okay, you started to preview that, Chris. I, I do tend to think humble leadership is the way to go. It is not in putting yourself first. I, I, I think leaders are like a first among equals kind of thing versus the first and the only person. Um, I also think good leaders, and I'm, I guess I'm talking about myself too in this aspect, <laughs> will want to shine the people, the spotlight on their people, not necessarily only on themselves. Because like I personally, Chris, as a, the leader of better organizations by design, the thing that makes me the most confident when I'm talking to potential clients is knowing the power of the team behind me. That is actually what makes me the most confident during any sales conversation or even exploratory conversations is recognizing just how amazing the people I get to work with are. And I, ne- I don't, I think they would probably agree with me that I 
probably, I thank them very often for that. Thank them for going on this journey with us and for contributing their talents for, to this. Yeah. Well, with, with any strength, right, you know, there is always another side to the coin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before, before we started the interview, you had shared that even though you're a humble leader and you have humility, there's always a dark side or something that can be perceived as negative to our strengths. Um, and so can you talk about the challenges that you're facing as a humble leader or a leader who leads with humility? And Chris, I think it would be also helpful to share one of the things we did talk about is growing up in Asian households, how (laughs) unforgivable it would ever be to talk about how amazing you are. And so being humble, I think, is something that was drilled into me very early on. Like It is not okay to talk about your achievements um, too much. Um, I think the dark side, and I, I got feedback on this recently from some members on my team, is that in thinking that I am, I'm good to a certain degree, yes. And I think whatever I can do, anybody else can do. And I've gotten feedback that, Nanuka, you also have to accept that you are actually really great at this and you're extremely smart and very fast moving and not everybody operates at that same level. I hadn't realized that I was setting expectations pretty high for my team because I was thinking if I can do this, any one of them can do this. But And I realized that is probably the dark side of humility when it comes to leadership that I had not been expecting. And so I have since learned to readjust my expectations and also not put my team in situations where they might feel like they're too far out of their comfort zone. I think, yes, as a team, we still like to push ourselves beyond what is um, comfortable, but not too much where you feel like you're standing over a cliff and you feel like you're about to fall. I never want my team to feel that. And so I, I'm happy to have been this having been called to my attention because it's something I'm actively working on. Well, that's the thing I really like about, you know, about your leadership is your even though there is a quote unquote dark side to your strength, you mm-hmm. still promote that humility and that, uh, you know, that self-awareness and ability to grow, right? Is that something that's something that you want to work on? And that's something else I think is important in leadership is that self-awareness is very, very important. You absolutely, as a leader, have to have self-awareness in how you are perceived. Mm-hmm. You as an individual can be, have your strengths, right? Everyone has their top strengths and those strengths can be perceived very differently by other people. So those individuals or the, you know, if they are part of your team, direct team, or, you know, in the rest of the organization, they might actually see that as like a dark side, right? Mm-hmm. So it's important to not only understand your strengths as a leader, but to also understand like, how is that being interpreted to other people? Because other people might not like this. I think I've talked about this in some other conversations I've had, right? Is my approach is very diplomatic. Mm-hmm. I like to get consensus and include everyone in the conversation. And I've definitely gotten that feedback from leaders. They're like, why are you talking to those people? Like, though, like you're slowing everything up. I'm like, no, like we need to get them on board and we need, we need their buy-in in order to move this thing forward. We got to make sure that we're all steering or rowing in the same direction. Right. So it's okay to, 
have like be aware of your strengths, but you also have to be aware of like how it's being perceived. Definitely. And the impact it has then on the other people that you are working with directly or indirectly. Yeah, absolutely. Can I add to that, Chris, too? Of course. I would say being very introspective is also very helpful as a leader. If there, if anybody who is listening is an entrepreneur and who is running their own business, especially a growing business, I can guarantee there is no shortage of work in that. And sometimes it's very tempting to just stay focused on what needs to get done. And it's like push, push, push all the time. But I've realized that it's really helpful to step back and also examine yourself, your motivations, how you're showing up, how you are um, working with different people. Because that's the only way that you can get better is if you actually pause and try to be intentional about how you are doing all those things. Yeah, that that intention and that, again, being very conscious of that intention and the impact that you're having is mm-hmm. um, is something that we have to keep in mind all the time. I, I do want to go back real quick to, you know, again, like we, you and I were talking about before we started the interview about um, accomplishments and not being, yeah. like, promoting them. I want to ask you probably uncomfortable question now is what are what is something that you've done recently that you are incredibly proud of but you haven't been able to necessarily share it or if you have been able to share it I want you to share it again I'm gonna go with a very personal answer and me I don't know if this is the right forum for that but this is something I am pretty proud of in that I've actually been doing a lot of self-searching myself because it's not going to surprise you. I've been working a lot, reaching the stage of burnout, and I've been asking myself how I can find that balance. And I've realized that a lot of the things that drive who I am, like I'm very much defined by achievement and excellence, service of uh, for others, being service of others <laughs> to others, um, and also challenging myself to grow. I've recently started to expand my perception of self like thinking of who else i am outside of these things and that is not easy i think changing your self-identity or how you see yourself is a really hard thing and i i'm at the right time in my life and in our business to start expanding my view of myself beyond that and that is something i'm actually proud of because that takes real work because it's not tangible it's very slow moving and it's very difficult to shake things that have been with you for 30 something years, almost 40 years. Yeah. Well, I want to applaud you for that because again, it is, it is hard because you have to be very honest with yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes. and the, the other thing too, to speak about how it's slow moving, you know, you might, let's hypothetically say you did this exercise 10 years ago, but mm-hmm. who you are now, you also have to continue doing that like self-reflection. Like you have to figure out like, okay, well, who am I today based on, you know, compared to who I was last year or five years ago, 10 years ago, but then who do I want to be, you know? So we're constantly evolving, right? So it's something, it's an exercise that we should probably teach at an earlier age of like this self-awareness and the self-reflection and this ability to just be honest with who we are. So I applaud you for that. That's fantastic. 
Thank you, Chris. And I don't know if that was the answer you're expecting or if you're expecting like a more business related accomplishment. Um, I, I sometimes find that business accomplishments are great. They're very easy to see, like you can celebrate them very much more easily, but the ones that are around personal growth are a little bit harder to mark and therefore celebrate. Well, I want to share some more uh, praise that some of your uh, coworkers or your uh, network have, has said about you. And mm -hmm. I asked Adam Bowden, he said, there's three things. One, she cares, she bloody cares. And he said to say that with, oh, I should have said that with a Michael Caine accent. So he bloody cares. Uh, two, two ears and one mouth. Yes, she can talk, but she listens too. Uh, three, she knows her stuff, aligning people to the business needs. So again, there's there you have this Im immense impact on others, but I want to ask you about your impact. What is the impact that you want to have on others? Oh my goodness. And that's actually the, the whole reason why our company Better Organizations by Design exists is one, we want to, at a societal level, we want to create like a level of competition where that's good for consumers. So like we're supporting all the small and medium sized business out there, get them to be at their most effective. And really for the people in those companies, our goal is to have them be doing their best work in an environment that brings out the best in them. And my personal purpose, I would say, is to leave things better than we found them. Even if it's through one conversation with one person or it's a super large project, the goal is if anything comes in contact with me, it is different. It is better simply because it had, has, has had some kind of touch point with me. That's my, my mission. Well, I think you're doing amazing work. I think, you know, I, I've reached out to a number of people. They all said amazing things about you. Um, so thank you. I, and then thank you again for coming on the podcast. Before we leave, where can people connect with you? Um, they can reach me at Nanuka, that's N-E-N-U-C-A at B-O-X-D dot U-S. Or you know what? Call me, text me, 650-276-6480. I love having conversations with people and figuring out how they can be better, um, both as a person and at work, and how they can make their organizations better. I could talk about that all day long, Chris. Well, you you certainly um, you certainly made an impact. Thank you for, again, coming on the Leading People First podcast. And again, reach out to Nanuka. She's so much fun to talk to. I, both every time we've talked so far, I've like had this big smile on my face because it's just the passion is there, you know, either on phone or you know we're doing this via Zoom. But um, yeah, I, I absolutely love talking to you. So thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leading People First podcast. I loved what Nanuka shared around designing organizations to further people-first strategies. If we can create a system and employee experience that is designed to build, develop, and enhance the strengths of our teams, we'll get much better results both externally and internally. If you liked what you heard, take a screenshot and share it with someone who could learn more about organizational design from Nanuka. Don't forget you can subscribe to get future episodes automatically downloaded to your device I am very excited for what the new year is going to bring, so make sure you have that automatic download setting selected. Let's keep this conversation going on both LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm glad you're joining me on this journey exploring how leadership affects the employee experience. 
keep leading people first and stay awesome.